Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm Paige Donner, the host and producer. This food and wine show is being brought to you directly from Paris, France. Here, we give you a taste of this delicious world with all its colorful and diverse personalities that make up the Paris culinary landscape. So, sit back and relax and enjoy Paris good food and wine. The Marché des Enfants Rouges, the name in English translates to Market of the Red Children, is Paris's oldest covered market. It was established in 1628 and refers to the children clothed in red, the color of charity, who were cared for in a nearby orphanage. The market offers fresh fruits, vegetables, flowers, bread, cheese, wine, but is most well known for its market stand restaurants where shoppers can buy prepared meals and dine on site in a lively atmosphere. My interview with Julie Cola, the mastermind behind Oh My God, She's Parisian, a stand-up show that plays every weekend here in Paris, took place here at the Marché des Enfants Rouges. One recent Friday evening, we shared a glass of wine at the charming wine bar Bibo Vino on the Rue Charlot side of the Marché. Le Marché des Enfants Rouges is located at 39 Rue de Bretagne in the Marais, the third arrondissement. Next in our show, we turn to a very distinct Loire Valley appellation called Savenière. It's known for its Chenin Blanc grown in schist or shale soils and is typically more full-bodied than dry Vouffray. Savenière is situated on the north bank of the Loire River in the Anjou-Saumur subregion near Angers. It's generally a dry white wine, as we'll see in my interview with Evelyn de Pontpriand, who's the president of the Savenière AOC and the owner of Domaine Closel. Though, as Madame de Pontpriand explains, her wines can also be sweet as well as sparkling. There are three Appellations d'Origine Contrôlée, or AOCs, for Savenier wine. Savenier, covering most of the vineyards, and then the enclave Savenier Rochemoine and Savenier Coulet de Seron. The area allowed for Savenier AOC spreads over three hills on the northwest bank of the Loire and totals about 300 hectares, or 740 acres, situated in three villages. Savenière, Bouchemin, and La Poissonnière. Of these, about 146 hectares are actually planted with vineyards. Savenière Rochemoine covers 33 hectares, and Savenière Coulet de Seron covers 7 hectares. Savenière was originally defined as an AOC in 1952, but was then revised in 1996 to introduce designations for sweet wines. So come with us on this next romp of Paris good food and wine as we take you through the celebrated Marché des Enfants Rouges in Paris's Haute Marais or Upper Marais district and then on a beautiful meandering walk through the picturesque Loire Valley, namely the Savenière AOC. 
This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine has been brought to you by Paris Food and Wine. You can find us at parisfoodandwine.net. Julie, I thought we could start this off by clinking glasses. Of course. This is very <laughs> French, very Parisian to drink wine at, what time is it? Let's see. Six? Six is fine. Oh, we're Friday. Six is fine because it's a Friday. And we're here at Marché Les Enfants Rouges. I was so thrilled when you suggested this place because I have always wanted to do a story about this place, or at least a story in this place. So, so here we are. So Julie La Parisienne, which we're going to get into in a, in a moment. Uh, we're going to get into who you are and what your background is because you're a lawyer turned stand-up comedian and you're basically the first woman who's tearing up the the stage here in in Paris it's awesome but in a moment we'll get to that tell us just walk us through Le Marché des Enfants Rouges as if we were coming here with you on a weekend so on a weekend you're going to have thousands of people Parisians mostly but you also have a lot of tourists now and the Marché des Enfants Rouges is very famous because it's um, kind of an open air market but it's as you can see you also have a roof so you can go here when it rains and you can have all sorts of different food. See, uh, Lebanese, I love to go to the Moroccan guy. He's got the best couscous. I love that his couscous. And you also have this Japanese guy. He's very famous, makes fantastic bentos. And you have kids running everywhere. Parents don't even have to check on the kids because it's it's closed. Just just for your for people listening, this market is in uh, the third arrondissement of Paris, which is called Le Haut, the High Marais, the high, which is a very historical place in Paris. Um, I think this market has been here for, we should ask people, but it's been here for a really long time. And it's more well known for its food that you can eat right away than by its market, which is a regular market that you can find anywhere in Paris. Uh, so in that sense, it's a little, it's a little different from the other markets that we have on like Sundays and Wednesdays or something like here it's open every day and there's mostly food stands but are there also cheese stands and flower stands and yeah because it's a real market so you have everything you can find in the Parisian market there's going to be meat you can buy meat you can buy vegetable fruits uh, cheese of course flowers uh, but mostly what you will what people want here is to have their coffee or what we are having right now a glass of wine with a little bit of cheese and saucisson or uh, um, you can also have minty Moroccan minty you can have a lot of things and it's open every day so people love that place I know for a Friday evening this like could not be better so we're, outside. we are outside having a drink we're outside at the end of January, having having a drink while the River Seine is flowing, fl uh, flooding, <laughs> flowing and flooding. But um, yeah, so we're sitting at Bobo Vino, and he's been extremely hospitable to us. Um, uh, each of us have a glass of wine, and I think we're paying like topped up at four euros a glass. So, I mean, it's incredibly reasonable. And he's even brought us a little complimentary plate of, as you said, saucisson, which for our uh, Anglophone listeners is sausages. <laughs> Sausages. Oh, how funny. Sausages for us is saucis, which is sausages, but it's not the same. Saucisson is, uh, what, what would it be? Dried pork meat, right? Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Saucisson would be um, not so much sausages, but like um, uh, co like cold cuts or, or, or cut up uh, dried, dried 
dried sausage, yeah, charcuterie or whatever in French. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So I'm trying to explain a French word using French. Okay, that's that's <laughs> you know you have a lot of things that you cannot describe in English uh, because it's so typical of France. Because the I think the only ones who are having saucisson except from the French are the Italians. I think you're right. I think you're right. So, Julie, um, take us in a little bit to the Moroccan place, just just a little bit um, more uh, more detail. When you come here on the weekends and the kids are running around with their parents and it's, you know, a lot of atmosphere here, what do you order at the Moroccan um, at the Moroccan stand? Well, I'm, I'm, I love couscous. So I'm having couscous, but the kids prefer to have tagine. So they are having the tagine with the olives, you know, and the, the lemon lemon and olive tagine with chicken it's really good and they have another one which is really good which is lamb lamb tagine I think you have to explain to people what a tagine is but uh well actually I was hoping you would <laughs> oh yeah well it's meat that is cooked a really long time and it's cooked in tea and boiled with a lot of herbs and then you had a lot of different ginger and um cinnamon and a lot of things and then you put a lot of fruits so it's going to, to, going to be um, dried uh, raisins say that uh, you're going to have lemon and olives and you're going to have dried apricots it's so good it's fantastic that sounds so delicious. That sounds actually really perfect for a winter a winter meal. Yeah, and the thing is, right now, what they have done, because now they're having so many people at Le Marché des Enfants Rouges, is before we had to queue outside, and you only had tables outside. But now, this Marocan place, they have tables inside, so you can eat there during winter time. Yeah, that's really that's really nice. Because, I mean, there's it's a whole different ambiance to actually sit inside to sit inside the um, the the market and, and eat, and I remember as you you know just as you were talking because I I remember we were trying to we were both trying to figure out when this market was first established, and as you were mentioning that um, right when we got started, I do remember now reading and I'll do some fact checking, but I'll I remember reading this is the oldest covered market in Paris, I, I believe. So if it's the oldest covered market in Paris, I thought it would be Le Halle. Do you remember? No, because you have to be French to know that it's uh, our famous French writer who died 200 years ago, which was called Zola. You had what we call Le Halle in Paris. You know? Okay, they had the biggest covered market in Paris, which was destroyed by Georges Pompidou, French president, to const- to build uh, the centre, you know, the museum Centre Pompidou. So that was the biggest one. So maybe that's the the only one which is still yeah covered yeah in Paris I think it's the only one no but maybe but maybe that is the distinction in that it's the oldest one that's still standing yeah. or something like that yeah but you have another one which is really famous which is called the Marché des Olives it's in the 18s it's in the building really really nice place yeah okay that's going to be the the subject and the and the location of our of one of our upcoming shows okay so so this has been a lot of fun um you walking us through le marché des enfants rouges now let's talk a little bit about about what you're doing here so you have a really funny you know history to you you're a, a lawyer who after the if i read your bio correctly um after the paris attacks you just kind of decided to turn a new leaf so to speak and now you're rocking it on the stage doing nightly stand-ups uh, i think three nights a week two or three nights a week yeah well after the bataclan assaults in paris i lost a friend there and i decided that life was too short 
to to dream away. So I decided to write a book in English about Parisian women, and then I um, I don't know how that happened, but an actress she she saw this book and she said you have to turn it into a play, and I said I don't know how to play. She said you will learn. It's easy. She taught me the craft. And um, then I um, built my own con um, production company and I started this show in English, which talks about Parisian women. It's 24 hours in the life of a Parisian woman. So I talk about food, love, work, politics, uh, how hard it is to be a woman still today. And the show changes uh, every week with the, with the news, actually. Yeah. And it's called Oh My God, She's Parisian. Wow, yes. So you're really doing stand-up. And I mean, I know that Paris has a vibrant theater scene, but not really so much in English. I mean, it's really just been in very recent years. And there's no, I don't know any other woman who is doing it consistently. I mean, you have like pop-up shows every once in a while, but not someone who's... No, there's no one doing a French, I mean French, doing a show in English. Uh, the show attracts a lot of tourists, a lot of expats, but I also have... Um, which is amazing, a lot of Parisians. Half of the people who come out are Parisians because they, they're not too used to see someone talking about their everyday life. I mean, it's a 24-hour story. You have the children, your boss, everything. You take the metro, you come back home, you go to a gym. And when I talk to people, wherever, I mean, New Yorkers, people from London, everywhere, they're like, We can relate to you. I mean, we learn a lot of things about Parisian people because you're weird. <laughs> But uh, we, we have the same life. I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to show you that we have the same life. And there's a whole myth about Parisian women, which is not true. Okay, well, okay, well, all right. I I was going to say, well, we'll wait for that myth um, for a moment later, but everyone's going to be like, no, wait, tell us now. <laughs> what, is, what is the myth about Parisian women that's not true? We're not, we're not all, it's not all about fashion and we have the same life and we put on weight and it's the same thing and we don't know how to cook. It's just like, there's so many things that are wrong about what, I mean, I've read so many books about Parisian women, it's not true. Most of it is not true. Well, I think that's going to be very reassuring that actually um, for a French woman, to hear a French woman say that French women actually can put on weight. I mean, not you. You're quite slender, but... <laughs> no, we, we put on weight. I put on like five pounds during the Christmas time. Come on. I mean, we're the same. I don't, I don't have a Chanel bag. I'm like, I'm dressed normally. My hair is not done. I mean... We're all the same. That's that's very nice. That's you're you're establishing a sisterhood here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just to maybe take a, like a, a very brief excerpt, and I'm not asking you to perform because I know actually right after this you have to dash to the theater. You're performing this evening. Uh, what theater again, by the way? Oh, I'm at Le Théâtre Beau Saint Martin. It's 19 Boulevard Saint Martin. It's in the third in Paris. It's near Republic, where you have all the theaters. Yeah, that's a great area. That is the theater district. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's actually within walking distance from here. I'll go. I'll go by foot. I'll do my my sport, my exercise. It's <laughs> just my exercise time. Great. So, okay. So you um, did your law degree at Northwestern University. I just wanted to sneak that in there because that's quite impressive. You did your law degree actually in English in the United States, but. The question I really wanted to ask was when you talk about food in your routine, <laughs> what are what are a couple of your of your favorite subjects or just one one of your favorite subjects? But food? 
oh, we talk about food. The thing is, um, I have a lot of uh, Belgian friends who say that Parisians talk about food all the time, even when they are eating food at the restaurant. We have a lot of dinner parties. Um, so we talk about food all the time. So my favorite subject would be how to make a good chocolate cake, which I've tried last night. I'll show you pictures. It's, you cannot eat that. It was disgusting. No, no, I made it with brown sugar. So, yeah, it's not working with brown sugar. Just, I'm telling everyone here, don't try to make a chocolate cake with brown sugar. It's not working. That's so interesting because we love brown sugar in the United States and I can never find brown sugar here. That's one of the things I can't find. I can find, I can find what they call, um, like cane sugar, but it's not the brown sugar that we have in the U.S. You're talking about the one which is really sticky? The, the one you're making cookies with? Yeah. You find it at Le Monoprix? La, we call it in French, la mélasse. Oh, now I know. I've been searching that for that for eight years. <laughs> you had to find me. Paige, I'm sorry. You just had to find me. It's in Le Monoprix. It's everywhere. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, you know, one of the, um, oh, I'll, I'll ask you, I'll ask to show you, maybe I'll even ask you to share some of those pictures of your chocolate cake. Because, uh, yeah, that, those can be, that can be a little um, daunting sometimes, a good cake. But, you know, one of the things I did want to ask you about, too, was, what do you know about the French fry? You know, because I realized recently that the ubiquitous French fry beloved all around the world. And I just, I wanted to start asking some of my Parisian friends, like, do you, what do you love or, or hate about the French fry? And what do you know about it? <laughs> no, we love French fries. I mean, we love French fries, but like everyone loves French fries around the world. It's everywhere. When you think about it, you have it in America, you have it in, uh, in kebab. They put fries in kebab. So it's everywhere. Uh, but the French, the French fries are not French. They're from Belgium. And I'm sorry to say that. That really hurts me. But, uh, it was, I think, I don't remember, but uh, they appeared in the late 16th, yeah, 16th century, because people were really poor and they had, they were frying uh, potatoes there. And then it was imported to France because Belgium is near France. And then you had the First World War and the Belgium army was speaking French and they tasted the fries. And as the Belgium army was speaking French, they called them French fries. That's how it all started. Wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's a that's a really rich history. It goes back like 500 years. Yes. yes, but it's not French at all. And 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 I have to say because I go to Brussels, I I love I love because they have really good food there. Um, uh, they make great Belgian fries. <laughs> they don't say. You know that in in Belgium they don't say French fries. No, I didn't know that. No, we're having a huge fight. They say Belgian fries. Yeah, and they have it cooked two different ways. They have a first one, they cook them in the um, gre duck, duck grease, and then they have it fried uh, with the oil. Some Canadian friends taught me that once, like everything tastes better in duck fat. In duck grease, everything, and everything does taste better, and everything does taste better in duck fat. So, okay, so now we know th that there are French fries and there are Belgian fries. So just for a point of discussion, could you call the fries that we eat in France French and then the fries that we eat in Belgium Belgian? Well, I, when I go to Belgium, I say I'm going to have fries. And I never say French fries. I say, fr I say fries, actually. I, and I love them, but I don't love them everywhere because I think they're not good in Paris everywhere. I mean, most of them are, um, how do you say, I don't even know. They're not handmade because it's hard to make real French fries yourself you have to have potatoes but they have to be old ones because new ones are going to be full of water 
So if you want to fry them, it's not going to work. They're gonna, not going to be crispy. Water is going to get through them. So they have to be old. Yes. Well, I just learned something. I didn't know that. Yeah. And when you cut them, you have to take your uh, sopalin. Uh, what is that? What would be that? Tissues? You have to take, like, yeah, tissues. And you have to take the water off the, 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 the potatoes before you fry them the first time. They're going to be... Um, So, not, not soft. How do you say mull? They're going to be like mushy. It's, it's disgusting. It's going to be mushy. Yeah. Okay, all right. So you do know a thing or two. Just my chocolate cook was a mess, but uh, I like to cook. Yeah. Well, then for your parting thought, what's your for your parting thought? And this will be your sayonara to us. But what's your favorite dish to cook? Oh my God! It is. Uh, now you're asking me. I know. It's oh, it's this dessert. I'm pavlova. It's the pavlova. I'm I'm super good at it it's meringue but it's italian meringue so it's not that easy to make and then it's handmade whipped cream that you have to and you have to do it at the last minute and then you put red fruits all over the top and then you serve it to people it's just pavlova is not really french it's supposed to be russian but uh, you have a great place in paris in the 17th which is called la meringue and they make different pavlovas it's fantastic But it's easy to make. It's not that hard. Well, I've always heard pavlova is one of the most difficult things to make. So, but now I know. I'll, I'm going to go check out la merengue. Oh, That's like incredible, fantastic, really. Well, we've just been talking with the star of Oh My God, she's Parisian. In fact, can you say that for us? Oh my God, she is Parisienne. <laughs> Julie, thank you so much for dashing out before your your show today to talk to us. Oh, oh, thank you so much, Paige, for having me talk about food. Because right now we're going to have um, saucisson, right? <laughs> thank you for listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. We welcome your input. Send us your questions, comments, feedback, even suggestions for upcoming episodes. We love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine. And you can find us on our website at Paris foodandwine.net. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host, Paige Donner. Next up is Evelyn de Pompriand from Domaine Clozel in the Savenière AOC of the Loire Valley in France. Okay, well, here I am with Evelyn de Pompriand here in the 8th arrondissement of Paris, but actually her, her family has deep roots in Savenière, the very distinct region of the Loire Valley, and she's going to so graciously give us a bit of a tutorial on what makes Savenière such a distinct region, not just of the Loire, but in all of France and, well, all of the world, really. So Savenière is located at, uh, south of Angers, uh, directly on the Loire. And it's uh, in, in an area that is, uh, the soil is schist, you know, like slates on the roof. And This is quite rare for vineyards. There are not that many vineyards with that type of soil. 
This is a very poor soil, but it's also a very interesting soil because it has a lot of acidity. So it, it gives the wines a lot of elegance and freshness. Also, um, Savignier is on, on hills, and it's part of, a, I would say, a series of hills from Saumur to almost to Nantes, but not as far as Nantes, really, as far as Anceny. And all these hills, uh, they're first around Saumur, it's uh, limestone, and then it, near Angers, it's more schist. They, they have been noticed already uh, in the Middle Ages as being able to produce very fine wines. We know now that for a long, long time, it's been uh, white wines and, most, and Chenin Blanc. But we don't know exactly when it started to be with Chenin Blanc because it's not written. Before the 18th century, there, there is, it's very rare that people mention the grape varietal. So in the 16th century, the Dutch uh, ship owners and merchants got very interested in those fine wines and came up the Loire and encouraged people in that area. So in Saumur, in the Coteau du Léon, which is the opposite side of Savignères, and in Savignères, uh, to produce the best possible wines. At that time, obviously, what was considered the best possible wines was mostly sweet wines. And it's really still true that these areas can produce extraordinary sweet wines, including Savignères. However, now... The, the the market for sweet wines is very small. And also the economy of sweet wines is not very easy because you cannot produce great sweet wines every year. It might be every other year, every five years, every 10 years. So what do you do in between? <laughs> so for a long time now, probably already in the 19th centuries, people in Savignere understood that. And they also communicated on dry wines. So Savignere has been always known for dry and sweet, as the other hills that I mentioned, Coteau du Léon, Saumur, they, they are well known for sweet wines, which makes the economy difficult. So Savignere uh, communicated uh, on dry Chenin Blanc wines, and um, there is one exceptional place uh, in Savignere, which is called Coulet de Serran, which uh, you know, has been really renowned all over the world. And it's part of a menu that was planned by Taiwan uh, with the five greatest wines in the world, <laughs> the white wines in the world. <laughs> so it's quite exciting to have a seven-year mansion in that type of offer. I think if you take that meal, it's like 3,000 euros or something like that. You can still do it. You have to be 10. <laughs> All of that is, you know, very fascinating. And one of the things... Um, I, I, I was introduced to Savignere a couple of years, a few years ago here in France. Prior to that, I hadn't known it or tasted it before. But I was introduced to it with this caveat, and that is either you like it or you don't. And I tend to be the kind of person who I, I really took to it. I like, I just love, there's such a distinctness to the flavor, though it's okay, so 100% Chenin Blanc. But there's a, as you were mentioning, the terroir, the schist, the, the soil, the slate soil characteristics and I guess, you know, the way it faces the river and the hillside and, you know, just it has a very distinct terroir-based uh, flavor profile, as do all wines, but but Savignere distinctly so. 
you know, but then since then too, I've noticed that I don't see it often on the menus, you know, not here in Paris all that often. I'm actually very impressed when there is a Savenier mentioned. But now you just told me, Evelyn, a couple of moments ago that actually Savenier is fairly well known in the United States, maybe even more so here in France. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because that's quite a surprise. Yes, I think in the US, it's probably arrived maybe 30 years ago. And I I would tend to say that the customers at that time were not so spoiled as they are in France. <laughs> and so it they were really uh, excited about testing something different and new. And the most sophisticated amateurs were extremely proud to tell their neighbors that they could you know, share a seven-year Chenin Blanc from the Loire Valley. Um, in Paris, you know, all the wines of France arrive, and since the seven year were not, were mostly exported already for a long time because of those Dutch merchants and then later uh, other uh, exporters, it was not so much sold in Paris. So we have a, a, a short history in Paris, and to arrive when all the Bordeaux and the Burgundy are, are settled here on the, you know, the very nice restaurant tables. Uh, it's not so easy. And Savenier is a small appellation in, in surface. It's 156 hectares, so that's very small. 36 winemakers, but with very small estates well, or, or plots, because uh, there are only about 10 that really live in Savenier. The others are uh, people from the south of, the, of Anjou, and they farm maybe half an hectare or, or 75 uh, hours in seven years. So there are not that many big estates who also have the possibility of, uh, you know, having a sales force that can come to Paris. And it takes a lot of time. It's difficult. The market in Paris is difficult. But abroad export, people are very excited. Well, that gives me a wonderful way to, it's a wonderful introduction to, um, go into questions about your domain, because I know, well, as you'll inform me further, I'm sure, Evelyn, your domain dates back to 1495 and probably actually even older than that, but those are the documents you have personally in your archive. And, uh, well, let's start with that because that, you know, that's fascinating. So you're one of the, one, probably you've got to be one of the oldest, uh, domains in Savenier. Yes. We, we have in the domain, uh, some very old documents, uh, that the, the one that I can read is 1495, as you mentioned. I think before that, the land was farmed by monasteries, but we see up here, uh, what, is written Seigneur des Vaux, which means the Lord of the Valleys, and, and the name of the chateau is, is Chateau des Vaux. So it's been, um, we have all the, the documents, it's quite interesting, uh, it's been sold and bought quite a lot of times for, for several years. Uh, and then in the beginning of the 19th century, uh, some families from Paris, very excited by the the idea of having a new uh, rail track, rail railroad, yes, uh, which was a new mean of transportation, built, you know, invested in seven years. So they built 14 chateaus at that time. So that's the, from the 19th century. 
And these chateaux are really now very emblematic of Savonnières. In the Loire, you don't have that many chateaux. You have farms with people's name, but you don't have that many chateaux. It's, it's very uh, unique in Savonnières. So these people were um, bourgeois. They were bankers or in finance or trade. And they were very smart and very international. So it's a time, a very exciting time, the 19th century. There were lots of experimentation made with different grape varietals, different ways of pruning, different ways of, of planting, terraces, things like that. And uh, research on, on disease, which were new, like mildew and oidium, uh, which appeared in the 19th century. And all that, and, and, and they brought their wines to Paris, to the international exhibit, uh, things like that. Then, unfortunately, America, some American <laughs> brought <laughs> the phylloxera, which is an insect that loves Vitis vinifera, which is the base of our grape varietals. So phylloxera destroyed the entire European vineyard, and including Savonnière, of course. So the, these people who were really investors and, and smart managers uh, got a shock. Then after that, it was the First World War. So of course, it was a little problem to have a strong economy at the time. I would say between the two world wars, there was a redevelopment, replanting. Then the Second World War arrived, and that, that was an, an, another problem. And I, Seven years sort of went to sleep and it really woke up at the end of the 20th century. And now it's very dynamic. It's growing, uh, people travel. Uh, it's, I think it will be more and more well known. I myself contribute a little bit to that. I have, I do a lot of master classes around the world in English on, on seven years. Uh, and I uh, have just created uh, the Academy of Chenin Blanc which is a world network of Chenin Blanc producers. And uh, part of, I, you know, I ask uh, South African producers to join. Uh, I was there in November and that covers 19,000 hectares. Uh, so that's a lot of people who are very interesting people. I'm going to the US soon to also contact uh, Chenin Blanc producers. And we will have a big congress in uh, in 2019 in Angers. So it's not only seven year, but since I am from seven year, of course I will talk seven year, <laughs> and there will be tastings and a lot of uh, different lectures on the different problematics about Chenin Blanc. That sounds very exciting, quite ambitious. You are definitely the person to the perfect person to lead that. Um, also, I mean, not I mean, not just because your English is so fluent, but also because you know you're obviously so passionate about your wines and and your family heritage. Thank you for listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. You can find us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine, and you can find us on our website at ParisFoodandWine.net. I'm Paige Donner, host and producer of Paris, Good Food and Wine. You know, that was another aspect, too. I was intrigued by uh, Evelyn when you started talking to me a bit more about Sauvignon. Was, is it emblematic that there is several 
female lineages in terms of winemakers? I mean, can you, can you, I know, I know it's true for your family, but can you speak to that a little bit more too? Sure. Well, yes, it's unusual, I must say. And uh, in seven years, we have three estates uh, are led by, by women and have been for two, three, in my case, four generations of women. It's quite unusual. And I must say, when I attend some meetings uh, of the whole area, very often I am the only woman. <laughs> and when I speak, they don't even listen. So it's <laughs> sometimes a little tough. But I tell them, you know, when I go to the U.S. and I speak, they listen to me. So <laughs> please listen to me. <laughs> and uh, no, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's very nice that uh, the three of the leaders are led by women. I think it's, uh, it's, it's a good example that other uh, vineyards sh should follow. And didn't you mention that even Nicolas Jolie is now training his daughter to come up? Is that right? Yes, Nicolas Jolie is uh, the owner of uh, Coulet de Serran. And uh, before him, it was his mother who has been a wonderful, very smart woman. She went to the U she spoke English and she went to the US and started selling the, the, her wines. And Nicolas followed and became very famous because he's uh, the one who really um, developed bio biodynamic practices. Uh, now, for about five years, his daughter Virginie is working with him, and um, she's wonderful. So that will be another great woman. Sounds like a really strong fabric, like almost like this tapestry that's coming, that's being woven as we speak. Um, can we just uh, talk a little bit now about your wines? I had the good fortune to taste some of them at the La Revue de Vin de France tasting not long ago. And uh, of course, they're, they're wonderful. Um, but tell me, you know, tell me a little bit about the diversity of your portfolio too. I know when we've spoken that you're, you're also making some sparklings. You're making a, a non-dosé sparkling, uh, from Chenin Blanc. You're also making a very interesting sparkling a rosé from Cabernet Franc. Uh, but when I hear it from you, you say, oh, but it's my seven years that really, really impassioned me. So I don't know, what what do you, what would you like to talk about? Well, I think seven years are the most exciting wines in, in, in the appellation, of, of course. But um, I have some uh, red grapes. I have some Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon. And I like to make uh, experimentations and, you know, try different things. So I've been developing two red wines, and a red Anjou and a Anjou Village, which is red also, which is a more structured wine. I think schist is not the best soil to produce red wines. You can, but it's not easy. Uh, I, it took me quite a few years to, to find out how to do it. I think now we are producing very nice red wines, but it's very small quantities. Um, as far as the sparkling, I, I like very much the sparkling, especially the non-dosé. It's, it's really a seven year. I can't mention that name because it's seven year is not supposed to be sparkling. But in the old times, before the appellation was created, the wines could be sweet, as I said, dry, demi-sec, or sparkling. And so it's like an old, you know, coming back, it's a vintage wine, sort of. And um, I I leave it on lees in the bottle for uh, six or seven years, so it makes an extremely delicate sparkling wine. And 
I've had some sommelier taste it with along with champagnes and they this you know they recognize it was Chenin Blanc, which is not from Champagne. But they said the quality was quite equal to some of the best champagne. So I was really proud. Uh, the thing is, it's it's not easy to develop a, wine, a sparkling wine uh, in seven years because people, I don't know, in France, they always buy champagne. And they, they're not going to buy a sparkling Chavonnier unless you really meet with them, explain, and so on. So it took me a while to develop the image of this wine. Now now it's, uh, I think it's became quite desirable. Uh, about my Chavonnier, I have three different cuvées from three areas, three terroirs. So one is um, harvested relatively early in the in at the time when, of course, the grape is mature, but it's the very beginning of maturity. So you have a very fruity, fresh fruit aromas. And then um, the two others are harvested about two weeks later and the aromas are totally different. They are more in the, I would say, cooked apple, pear, uh, grilled almonds aromas they are from two different areas one is a uh, sort of a silky and very luscious wine the other one is very um, what in french they say tendu tense i would say and mineral and, and extremely elegant it's the clos du papillon so it's it's fun it's like having several children i've had four children i have three seven years <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, but it's, it's I you're not the first who is likened their wines to to children to you know to their yeah to children. So the so the elegant tendu as you, as you said kind of what like um tense is called it's Clos de Papillon. And what were the names of the other two seven year? Uh, the first one I mentioned the, the fresh fruit uh, aromas is called La Jalousie and the second one which is more luscious uh, silky with a silky texture, is called Les Caillardières, which no English-speaking person can say. <laughs> you have to drink a lot to be able to say it. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful encouragement to drink some more Sauvignon. Yes, yes. If, um, if we'd like to learn more about this appellation, uh, where, can we, where can we go? Is there um, uh, an internet site online or can we find more just by going to your domain website or you know the i have been the president of seven year for for a while and i created a website so there is a bilingual website which has basically all the information on the appellation now i we have of course at the domaine du closel we have our own website also bilingual we are open every day of the year almost and we are very happy to welcome people you can come on your own with your your boyfriend or husband, whatever, with your kids, your dog. <laughs> you can take a walk in the, in the park and up in the vineyard and have a tasting. And that's very easy. You don't need a reservation for that. Otherwise, you can come for a, a workshop uh, that you have to, that's on reservation, upon reservations. Uh, you can come with a group and I will be happy to take care of you personally. And um, I will take you for a walk in the vineyard, explain my philosophy, and then we will come back and have a tasting of about six wines. I also created some events. Uh, we have, of course, uh, a harvest adventure in the fall. Uh, we have a white dinner 
sometimes we have lots of things and there is I created this year a new thing which is called Festival d'herbe folle. L'herbe folle are it's a very nice word in French to say weeds, but <laughs> we are organic, we are biodynamic and we don't consider weeds to be bad. We think uh, everybody has a role in nature or everyone rather. <laughs> and uh, I during that festival I have some little lectures or walk where I explain the role of every plant of the microorganism in the in the ground. Uh, we look at the landscape as a living landscape and not as a panorama. And so that's a different approach and I think the, this festival is quite successful because of that. There there I don't know what I'll do this year, but last year I had a an actor come with me and we were reading some uh, texts from literature about different, you know, like insects or trees or different part of different things that we would encounter during our walk. There are some concerts, there are many different things, meals. You can come and have a beautiful meal also. But of course, upon reservation, I don't have a restaurant, but we, we, we have a catering service. And I, I can, I'm happy to organize something in Paris, in a restaurant or some, you know, in a private place also. Wonderful. That's really, those are things to mark on the calendar. Just a quick question. When is your Festival de Herbe Folle? You know, that's in June uh, when they are there because the Herbe Folle are asleep and, and hidden in the ground in, in the winter. So in June, June is a good time. And uh, if there are enough people, I, we can make, I have a cook who can make a meal with some of these plants. So that's quite interesting. So there is a festin d'herbefarle. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. You're full of really great ideas and great initiatives. Thank you so much for your time today, Evelyn. I am very honored that you chose to speak to Paris Good Food and Wine today. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to, to come and for this interview. And uh, I hope that uh, people got excited about Seven Year and that they will drink a lot of this wonderful Chenin Blanc. <laughs> thank you for listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. We welcome your input. Send us your questions, comments, feedback, even suggestions for upcoming episodes. We love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at... Paris Food Wine, and you can find us on our website at parisfoodandwine.net. Thank you for listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and also on the Pacifica Network in the United States. This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine has been brought to you by Paris food and wine. You can find us at parisfoodandwine.net. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. A big thank you to all who helped make this show possible, and especially a grand merci beaucoup from me, your host and producer, Paige Donner. You can find this and past episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on iTunes. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine and like us on Facebook at Paris Food and Wine.